Open up your Bibles this morning to Acts 17. Acts 17. This time the children can be dismissed for Children's Church. Acts 17 as we continue our series through this wonderful book. Let's ask God's help. Father, thank you for the gathering of your people, filled with your spirit, singing praises to you. We've come to worship because the tomb is empty. King Jesus lives. He has saved us. We belong to him, and we belong to one another in this room. Thank you, God. Use your word in our lives for your glory. Amen. Amen. Last week, we saw Paul and Silas arrive in a city called Thessalonica. Thessalonica is in Macedonia, modern-day Greece. They've already left a city called Philippi, where they preached the gospel there. They were chased out of town, and now they're in a new town, preaching the gospel again. Last week, we saw that Paul went into the synagogue and explained to them from the scriptures. He reasoned with them from the scriptures that it was necessary that the Christ should suffer and rise again. We spent the majority of the sermon on that last week showing the necessity of a death and resurrection and what Paul was using was the Old Testament. At the end of that, at the end of three Sabbath days, some of them believed. Look at verse 4 of Acts 17. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. Taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Obviously, these new believers don't make everyone happy. The fact that Paul and Silas's message is sinking deep within hearts and people are believing that Jesus Christ is that Messiah that was needed to have died and rise again from the dead. They become jealous, Luke's right here, after they were persuaded, they were convinced of the arguments that Paul had given them. And as a result of that, those who had become jealous stirred up some wicked men. In verse 5, we see the Jews were jealous in taking some wicked men of the rabble. Now, this is an interesting Greek phrase in the original language. It basically means um, those who hung out at the market. And these market dwellers committed very evil and immoral acts. Probably the best way to describe them today is they're a street gang. They riled up a street gang, these wicked men of the rabble, and they formed a mob. They went around spreading rumors and lies about Paul and Silas and the trouble that they were making in the town. This caused the people to uh, incite chaos and set the city in an uproar so that a mob of those angry people led by this street gang went to the house of a man named Jason. Now we don't know much about Jason. Obviously he was a believer. He's one of these who were persuaded by Paul's message. 
he perhaps was a wealthy man who lived there and had a house big enough to house the missionary team. It's probably where the church had begun to meet those new believers who had gathered together in this city. The news had spread. Well, we see them in Jason's house. Well, they go to Jason's house to look for Paul and Silas, the troublemakers of Thessalonica. They're hiding them there. They're keeping them as fugitives. So they've come to arrest them and to bring them out before an angry mob. But look at verse 6. When they could not find them, Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the civil city authorities, shouting, these men have turned the world upside down, have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. All this tension has now boiled over in this city. As we have seen repeatedly in the book of Acts, when Paul and the apostles preach the gospel, there is persecution that comes. There is persecution, there is anger, there is hatred. There are evil demonic forces trying to stop the spread of the gospel in this city. Obviously, Paul and Silas had already garnered a reputation because they said that these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. They probably heard what happened at Philippi. These are the same guys that went to Philippi and cast that demon out of that slave girl and escaped from prison. They have turned the world upside down. What a phrase. It just basically means chaos. That everyone's talking to them. They're making changes wherever they go. They're influencing people. That's the first charge. They've turned the world upside down. The second charge is that Jason harbored fugitives. And Jason has received them. And the third charge is that they are committing treason against Caesar, the Roman emperor. But these charges are not completely true, are they? It was not Paul and Silas that stirred up the crowds and turned the world upside down in Thessalonica, was it? It was the street gang. It was the wicked men of the rabble who had caused the chaos. They, they caused a riot. They caused the chaos. Then they go to the civil authorities and say, these are the men who are responsible for all of this mess. When it's really they are the ones that are inciting such animosity. The second charge is that they were trying to overthrow Caesar. But really, they weren't, were they? They were just simply pointing people to the one who has more authority than Caesar. See, to go against Caesar, the Roman emperor, who was worshipped as God in the Roman Empire, was treason. So they heard what Paul and Silas are teaching. That this Jesus who has died and rose again from the dead now reigns in heaven with God the Father. And he is king over this world. They have heard probably what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28. That all authority 
has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Paul is not trying to incite an overthrow of Caesar and the Roman Empire. He's just telling them the truth of who has more authority than him. Obviously, this doesn't sit well with them. And the leaders of the city of Thessalonica are very afraid. Remember, Philippi was a place that was a Roman colony. And if they acted against Caesar or riled up the people against Caesar, and all these people are becoming Christians, acknowledging that Jesus has more authority than Caesar, then they're going to lose status in the empire. They can't let that happen. They must stand against this Jesus. They must stand against his followers for fear of the Roman Empire. It's very clear that they hate them, don't they? Paul and Silas are hated everywhere they go. Whether it's in Antioch, Pisidia, and Lystra, and Derbe, Philippi. We have seen them in trouble, in prison, beaten They are hated for their mission and hated for the message that they preach. One time I heard Stephen Lawson, a faithful preacher, say, that's the thing with many, that's what's wrong with many preachers today. He said, nobody wants to kill them. And it's true. It's very true. And that could be true for a lot of reasons. The pastors and preachers are, Cowardly to speak the truth. Cowardly to proclaim God's word for fear of what might happen to them. Not Paul and Silas. They were hated because they did speak the truth. These men knew that their king was Jesus, not Caesar. This is the very thing that they accused Jesus of at his trial. They accused of him being king of the Jews. It's one of the things that the Jewish leaders incited the Romans to crucify him. He is saying that he's the king of us. Well, Caesar's our king. Hmm. And the Romans mocked Jesus and hung a sign above him that hung that said king of the Jews. The accusation, again, is partially true. Is this what they really believe? Of course. They believe that King Jesus is over Caesar. But were they trying to overthrow Caesar? Of course not. They believe in the authority of Christ. And it is this belief embedded into their hearts that drives their mission. Jesus never taught any of his disciples to overthrow government. Not one time did Jesus say, kill all the Romans and chase them out of town. In fact, Jesus said, when he was asked about, should we pay our taxes? What does Jesus say? Give to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. This is a profound statement that tells us what the Lord Jesus believed about the role of government and kingdoms in this world. And it's one that we must wrestle with as Christians. People who are dual citizens. We belong in this world because we're born in it. But when we have become born again, we're no longer of it, are we? 
Our citizenship is in heaven, but we live in this world. We're dual citizens living in two different places. We're subject to the governing authorities in this world as the scriptures say. Paul says this in Romans chapter 13, to be subject to the governing authorities. And why? Because all governments, all kings, all leaders in high places serve in that position because they have been given that authority by God. In fact, Paul says that governments and kingdoms are servants of God. They have a God-given responsibility in this world, and that is to uphold justice and to punish the evildoer. I wish we had time this morning to go through Romans 13. Write it down, look it up later, okay? Paul says in Romans 13 that government is the servant of God, meaning that God has appointed them for a task. And so we obey government when government obeys God. When government stays in their lane, when government acts as a servant of God. See, Paul and Silas are just here preaching the gospel. We are to obey government as long as government obeys God. This is why when they are told earlier in the book of Acts to stop preaching or teaching, what do they say? We'd rather obey God than man. What does that say? You have overstepped your boundaries of what God has told you to do. And we will obey him rather than you. This is why they believe there's another king. There is another king. Amen. And he's much higher than Caesar. Holy, righteous. And he has been given all authority in heaven on earth. And if that is true, and it is then we have a way to live in this world that has been get, that we've been given a right and a mission to obey God in this dark world who hates God above any reason that we could give as to why Paul and Silas were hated there's only one answer and Jesus gives it why do they hate them so much. Well, this is exactly what Jesus said would happen, is it not? In John 15, 18, Jesus tells his disciples these words. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than, its mas- than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Why? The Caesar and the Romans hate these men. It's because they hate Christ. Jesus, don't be surprised when they hate you because they've hated me. Don't be surprised when they persecute you and mistreat you because they did that to me. If we're servants of the king, then we cannot expect 
to be treated any better than him. We do his will. We serve his mission. We serve him faithfully. And as a result, if we belong to him and are faithful to him, there are consequences that come with it. This is why Jesus says, if anyone follows me, let him carry his cross. And that doesn't mean wear a necklace around your neck with a cross on it. It literally means be willing to die. As Americans, we, this is kind of foreign to us. But we have brothers and sisters all around the world who suffer severe persecution, imprisonment, death, kidnappings for the name of Christ. But why does that happen? You must understand the collision of two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And since the beginning, the evil one has been stirring the hearts of men to rebel against God. But in the end, he loses. And God wins. Amen? Paul and Silas are hated. They're persecuted. And they come. They're also persecuted because they tell them the truth. And they're hated because they tell them the truth. The truth will divide. It will. And this world hates truth. This is what Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The reason that the world hates God is because the light of his glory exposes their sin. It exposes their sin to a degree where they have to admit and acknowledge that if he is truly God and that glorious, then they are accountable to him. This is why men and women apart from God will use every excuse in the book to not be accountable to God. But in the end, we will all give an account, will we not? We will all stand before him. They scatter when the light comes. When the truth is proclaimed, when the truth is taught, those who hate the light run like cockroaches when the light comes on. This is who we are by nature. This is what happens when Paul and Silas, the cockroaches come out because the truth is being proclaimed and they hate the light and will do everything they can to extinguish that light. These men have turned the world upside down. And they're over, wanting to overthrow Caesar. Sinners' works are being exposed. Their true motives are seen. Nobody gets away with anything at the end of time. Every sin will be made and brought into account. And men and women, both small and great, will have to give an answer to God. But for those who place their faith in him, it is Christ which speaks for you. 
It's Christ which speaks for you, saying that he has died for your sins, that you are now adopted into his family and have now become his bride. We have an advocate in heaven which speaks on our behalf. Amen. So Christians, when the light comes on, when the truth is proclaimed, we should not run like cockroaches. In fact, those who belong to God, when they see the light and hear the light, we're not like cockroaches that run. We're like moths that come to, uh, to the light. They're attracted to light. This is what the word of God does. The spirit of God does within our hearts. It confirms to us that we really belong to him. That we love his people. We love his word. We love truth. When we hear truth, we don't just dismiss it because we don't like it. We repent and accept it. Because God is good. And he's holy. And he's glorious. And so, to sign up to become a Christian. To receive Christ as Savior. To believe in him, to belong to him, to live like him, will bring on the hatred of this world. There is no getting around it. It will bring on the hatred of this world. When I say that we are to live like Jesus, I'm not talking about in this way. Feeding the poor or being kind or compassionate. Nobody killed Jesus for those reasons. They didn't kill Jesus because he fed the poor, was nice, and compassionate to people. The opposite is true. They didn't kill Jesus for those reasons. They would never have crucified him for that. Why did they crucify him? Why did they hate him? Because Jesus called out their sin. He commanded sinners to repent. He proclaimed the law of God truthfully. And he also said he was God. So for a Christian, you have to understand this two-kingdom mentality. I'm in this world, but I'm not of the world. I belong to another king. I belong to another kingdom. I have a role and responsibility here, and that is to be an ambassador for him. That's who we are, Christians. We're ambassadors. Representing heaven on this earth. Showing them the glories of the king. Showing them the truth whether they like it or not. Not being arrogant and inhospitable and obnoxious. But speaking the truth in love. Proclaiming God's word without fear of attack. Suffering is inevitable. In the first century world, every Christian knew this reality. Every Christian knew that to live for Christ would bring persecution. Matter of fact, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's bound to happen. You can't. Avoid it. In this country, it, for the time being, it's maybe slander or verbal attacks or accusations of being old-fashioned, 
or on the wrong side of history or whatever the thing may be. It might be abandonment. It might be isolation. But as I've already said in other countries, to stand for Christ means to go to prison or even die for him. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What's godly mean is to live like Jesus. What did Jesus pray for us in the garden? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be a disciple of the word, a proclaimer and believer of the word, no matter what the world says. The world has its own doctrine. The world has its own message. The world has its own gospel that contradicts the truth. And if you want to live a sinful life, if you celebrate what the world celebrates, you won't be persecuted. Just go with the flow. Go with the changing times, or they say. But if you give allegiance to Christ, if you forsake the ways of the world then this is what you can expect. Christians are called to a life of repentance, of turning from their sin. What was the message that Paul preached to these Thessalonians? We saw last week that it was necessary that the Christ should suffer and rise from the dead. But he went further than that over three weeks. He writes to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, of how they were receptive to the truth. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And now Paul writes this of the Thessalonians. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. To wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the message that Paul preached, and it was received, and they obeyed. They turned to God from idols. One of those idols was Caesar worship and worshiping the gods of the land. The orgies, the sexual perversions, the idolatry that went along with it. They forsook it to serve the living and true God. To be a Christian is to swim against the stream. To go against culture. Because the truth never changes. Our, the kingdom of our God stands in contrast to the kingdoms of this world. In fact, Paul describes our salvation in this very way. To the Colossians, he writes, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You were born in one kingdom, but now when you became saved, you have been transferred to another in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is God's world, not ours. Amen? Mankind has corrupted it and has brought massive confusion into it. 
And the confusion just seems to be escalating again and again and again, year after year, decade after decade. I know some, some of you talk about the good old days. Here's the truth. There never were good old days. Because your good old days were worse than the good old days of people before that. What's been stirring in the hearts of mankind has always been rebellion to God. This is why we must repent and cling unto the truth. And there is so much confusion. There is so much confusion in our world. The kingdom of this world now brings so much confusion even to the subject of gender identity. This week, two males have been in the news. And yes, they are males. They're just men pretending to be women in the name of the delusion of transgenderism. One of them was named USA Today's Woman of the Year. If that's not an attack on women, I don't know what is. Another won the NCAA National Championship in the women's 500-yard freestyle swim meet. A man competing against women because he's pretending to be a woman. This is utter confusion, utter chaos. And the acceptance of these ideals are becoming more prevalent. And if you don't go with it, then you are the hateful one. You are the one who's out of touch. You are the one who just sees the big deal in everything. Just let them be and let them live their lives. But no, the reason we stand against such nonsense is because sin is real. And their delusion is what has them in captivity to God, to their sin. We must tell them the truth because we do love them. We don't say such things because we hate them. We say such things because the truth sets somebody free. And we live in a day and age where people are becoming more and more afraid to say such things in fear of being canceled. When you love somebody, you tell them the truth. You tell them the truth. Why? Because this is wicked. It's an affront to the God who has made them in his own image. Genesis 1 clearly says that God made them male and female. There's only two genders, and you're assigned a gender by God at your birth. John MacArthur once boldly said in a sermon, you're either XX or XY. These are the chromosomes given at birth. This is science. How many times have we heard this year to listen to the science, right? This is science. This means if, if you're one, you're male. If you're the other, you're female. This is biology. There's no such thing as transgenderism. It's a social construct invented by the world. Confusing God's good order and creation. What's the big deal? It violates creation. It violates God's good world. Speak against this wickedness and confusion of the LGBTQIA 35, I don't know, agenda, and you'll get canceled. You'll be mocked and scorned as someone promoting hate speech. But our God says he's made them male and female, period. And thankfully, as you know, a bill passed in Florida just recently to prohibit teaching kindergartners through third grade about gender identity in public schools. 
Thank God that passed here. But my friends, I fear that we are under God's judgment. This world that we live in is just evidence of a Romans chapter 1 world. As God turns people over to their foolishness. There's also a bill, you may have heard this in the news, in Maryland that is up for review and debate that would decriminalize a failure to act to save the life of a baby up to 28 days after birth. Essentially giving the mother or father freedom from, persecution, from prosecution of murder if they fail to take care of the child up to 28 days after that. See, it begins with abortion in the womb, then to partial birth. Now it's you have 28 days afterwards. This is wicked. It's heinous. It's hateful towards women and children. We must stand against it. Why? Because we have another king that's not Caesar. And his name is Jesus. And he has told us the truth. And the truth sets people free. We belong to another kingdom. These are not my ideas. These are not my preferences. It's the truth of God as revealed in his word. And if we're going to be people of the book, then we must be bold to proclaim it. We must be bold to proclaim it. Paul just got beat up, imprisoned in Philippi. And instead of going home, licking his wounds, where does he go? To the next city, knowing what's going to happen to him again. All of this mindset, and there's a lot more that we can go through. Those are just two quick examples from the last week. The kingdom of this world stands in opposition to God. God has created the church to be a pillar and buttress of the truth. That's what the Bible says. God's people living in a wicked world is God's grace to the world to hear the truth. Therefore, we must be bold and proclaim it. And this is how the book of Acts begins. The book of Acts begins how? With the authority and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus by the power of his spirit. These bold apostles go out and proclaim with such boldness and clarity the truth and spite of any persecutions and opposition that may come their way, they do this because they remember what Christ has said. They stand for truth and justice. They saw him risen from the dead. They saw him ascend to heaven to sit on God's right hand. <laughs> you cannot see that and be cowardly. Not only must they do it and did it, but so must we. Wherever God's truth is attacked, we must remember his promises. And here's the thing I say to myself at least once a day. It's not always going to be like this. Amen? It's not always going to be like this. As Habakkuk prophesies, one day the glory of God will cover the earth as the as the oceans are filled with water. Paul tells the Ephesians in chapter 1, 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, that's above Caesar, and above every name that is named, that's Vladimir Putin and every other wicked dictator in the world, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he puts all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In case you didn't know what that means, let me just paraphrase it for you. Be strong and courageous. Jesus wins. He has all power and authority and he cannot fail. His kingdom cannot fail. It will advance The kingdoms of this world will laugh and mock and persecute. We must hold the line. We must stand for truth because somebody has to. We must not be cowardly. We must call people to repentance even if it costs us our lives. We must choose. There is a choice to make. Will we go the way of the world or will we go with another king? Will we go with Christ, the kingdom of Christ? We're commanded very sternly and passionately by the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with his desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. There's two kingdoms. Which one will you serve? Which one do you belong to? We must be people of the book. We must be people of the truth, for we have another king. So this is an accusation that was brought against Paul and Silas, a phrase that we just spent the last 40 minutes on. But it's so true. They weren't trying to overthrow Caesar. They're just speaking truth into Caesar's kingdom. And that makes the cockroaches hate and want to extinguish the light. Things haven't changed in 2,000 years, folks. Maybe the reason that many people don't want to kill some preachers today is because they don't speak on such things. Well, what happens to these men? Look at verse 8. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. Of course, they're fearful of what Rome is going to find out and do to them as a result. And like good politicians, what do they do? They take some hush money. They take a bribe. They make them pay. They make them pay. Look at verse 9. When they had taken money as a security from Jason, this is almost like bail money, bond money, When they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. 
There's the message. These people go against the decrees of Caesar. You better believe we do. God has given Caesar authority to stay in his lane. And when Caesar stays in his lane, we're to be subject to the governing authorities because Caesar is a servant of God to punish the wicked and evildoer. But when Caesar gets out of his lane, when the decrees of Caesar go against God's word, when the truths of this kingdom are made prevalent over the truths of God, we must stand firm. We must be people of the book. Let's pray. Oh, Father, help us to be people of the book, to give us boldness in this day and age where people seek to cancel us and quiet us for a message that goes contrary to the kingdoms of this world, a world that is increasingly more sinful, increasingly more hateful towards the things of God. Father, help us to know and exercise wisdom and to speak truthfully and boldly against such wickedness. The truth is the only thing that matters. The only thing that will set people free. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what this world needs, Lord. Help us to truthfully stand up and speak what needs to be said to protect the lives of the unborn and now even the lives of those up to 28 days old. And Lord, so much other wickedness and foolishness, perversion, confusion that exists on the evil one only to pollute and blind hearts away from the truth of God's word. May you give churches and pastors across this world boldness as Paul and Silas to say what needs to be said and to suffer the consequences that come with it. For King Jesus is worth it. King Jesus is praiseworthy. We know he wins in the end. And so we will suffer and take our blows on this end. We desire that kingdom to come. We desire that new world to come where righteousness dwells, where God's people praise and all people praise your name. Help us to be people of the book as we wait those days and usher them in. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet and sing a closing song. Very appropriate song as we think about the message that we just heard. An old hymn, This Is My Father's World. Amen? This is my Father's world. Let's sing. This is my Father's world.